Hello everyone and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast. We're so glad to have you joining us today from wherever you are joining us around the country, maybe around the world. We welcome you to the place where we coach you in the Word of God. Uh, we want to say again thank you to all those of you that download our information and our teaching. We would love for you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, um, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's uh, direct messaging. We appreciate you. We look forward to hearing from you, but most of all, we look forward to seeing that you are downloading our studies around the country and often around the world. Today, we're going back in uh, to the message called, What is the Love of God? This is part three of that message. We're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 6, um, and uh, we will... Uh, share the love of God from the scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the word of God says to us, and then allow us to apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear son. Father, we thank you today because in heaven, Jesus, our man in the Godhead bodily, sitting in the throne room of God is speaking. The Holy Ghost is hearing. May he reveal to us what the Lord is saying. May we receive it, and then we will release it in teaching, and we will give you praise and glory and honor for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 6, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Certainly, the love of God will never cheer on lawlessness. So when I see and hear people in the church world today cheering on the lawlessness that we see out of people, regardless of the reason for lawlessness and iniquity, I know that they have missed the mark on the love of God because it will never cheer on lawlessness, wickedness, injustice, moral wrongs, or unrighteous acts. Now, how could he? The love of God comes from the holiness and righteousness of God. Now look at this. There are those that would tell us that the lifestyle of sin is okay with God, and they blame that doctrinal position on what they perceive as the love of God. It is apparent that God is not standing in love to clap, cheer, or support the behaviors that are being exposed that are evil. If he did, he would have a whole lot of explaining to do. 
He would have to explain to such people as those in Sodom and Gomorrah for holding them accountable for the evil that was pervasive in their day and in their city. He would have to apologize to the prophets of Baal for his interaction with them due to Elijah's request. He would have to apologize to Ananias and Sapphira for holding them accountable for their actions. And he certainly would have to make amends for what Paul was led to write in Romans 1 concerning those who had a form of godliness but denied uh, the uh, power thereof. Remember to those Paul said that God had done two distinct things in response to their godless unrighteous behavior. Number one, he gave them up. And number two, he turned them over. Is it not apparent that the love of God does not and cannot accept the evil actions or deeds of mankind simply based upon who he is? The value and worth of who he is stands against the very one who is bent on overthrowing his kingdom. Anyone who operates under the leadership of the kingdom of the underworld is operating as an enemy of the love of God. How in the world, friends, can we miss this fundamental truth? Well, could it be because we don't recognize that he also is cheering truth? The scripture said, but rejoiceth in the truth. So we need to determine, we know what iniquity, wickedness, and lawless is. We know what it looks like. We know what it acts like. We know what it talks like. We know what it intimidates like. We know what it causes good people to coalesce to. We know what it causes the world and much of the church world to coalesce to because of the fear that is attached with what evil can do. We know about that. So what is truth? Well, first, truth is the person of Jesus Christ. In his person, we find the love of God exposed. In his deeds, he showed us how the Father operated in mercy, grace, and love. Now bear in mind, Jesus Christ was a man who wouldn't break a reed. He didn't go in the street shouting, look at me, look at me, look at me. There's injustice in the land and I'm going to oppose that injustice and I'm going to stand against that and I'm going to uh, protest. Jesus didn't do that. Even though the world was steeped in sin, he went about carrying on the work of God and ministering to people out of the love that was coming from him, from, through him, from the Father. He was disseminating mercy, grace, and love of which our society knows absolutely nothing about. Therefore, I know that we are mischaracterizing the love of God. We are mischaracterizing the truth. In Jesus Christ, we not only find the love of God exposed in such things that our world doesn't understand at all, mercy, grace, and love, we find that there is a pattern 
of love that comes from the Father through the Son that's expressed. From the Father to the Son and towards mankind, that pattern of love becomes apparent. He works with men and women and children who believe. He trains those who obey. He rewards their obedience with blessings in their lives and the blessings of an eternal life beyond this life. We find then that love will continue. Love towards the obedient brought the internal guidance of the Holy Spirit and the heavenly communication from the Godhead. Now there is a point in time when we're going to find that love will stop wrestling with a man. Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 1 when he said that because they had in them the knowledge of God but yet denied it, that God gave them up and gave them over. Yes, God's love will stop wrestling. We have to look no further than into Judas's life we find that Judas was a peripheral member of the group that surrounded Jesus. Although he was the treasurer and took care of the money, although he took part in the ministry with the 12 and the 72, he did not see Jesus from the perspective that the other 11 did. I shudder when I think about how the gospel is being portrayed in our world today. I shudder at some of the words that I hear preachers preaching that have absolutely no influence or input out of the scripture, no doctrinal truth, no soundness in it, but words that placate the mind of man, words that sound good, words that deal with man's psychiatry and psychology, words that wrangle money out of their pocket. Words that fill their edifices and fill it with untruths, half-truths, doctrinal statements are no longer a part nor parcel of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard a statistic today that less than 2% of all the churches in the United States of America are preaching the word of God from the doctrinal truths with a basis and a foundation in the gospel. Why? Because they're afraid they will lose attendance. So our church is now preaching a gospel that surrounds itself and lends itself to be a message to the evil. To say you're all right. It's a message often of being intimidated to say you're all right. What a sad state of affairs we live in. We find that love will stop wrestling with a man, and Judas is our picture of that. So when the time came for Judas to show who he really was and what truth had really been revealed in him, he did so by betraying the Lord. Don't you know that's what's going on in our church world today? When the rubber met the road in preaching and teaching, we decided to coalesce to a social gospel. We decided to go along with the narrative of the day because that kept us in the good graces of our people. We decided to preach a gospel that went along with the itching ears and all of a sudden the sound that we are making is an uncertain sound and the world is an evil, steeped 
in evil, steeped in the uncaring, unconcerned, merciless, graceless, and loveless, and we're telling them that they're going to heaven. When the time came for truth, here we can turn to Judas and see what was really on the inside of him. I would say to many that are preaching today that the spirit of Judas has hit this country. The spirit of Judas has come into the word of God. The spirit of Judas is being preached in this country from pulpits all over this country who are sustaining a narrative and a movement that is in direct opposition. It is iniquity personified. And it is truthless. And it is also gutless. We're revealing what is really in us, and in doing so, we are betraying the Lord. Judas did this and exposed his betrayal when he referred to Jesus at the supper by the word rabbi. The other 11 referred to him as Lord, but he referred to him as rabbi. My friend, when he referred to him outside of truth, he betrayed him. When the church of the living God and those that preach and teach refer to him outside of his lordship, outside of his control, outside of his truth, accept iniquity and lie about the truth, they are as living as much living in the spirit of betrayal as Judas was. Well, so there's a reality of truth that is valid. It has its roots in the revealed facts as they become evident within a person. These revealed facts identify Jesus Christ as Lord. It does so to some and it does so to many. And their life reflects his character his training and his ability to communicate himself through them. But then there is the reality of truth that is also individual and validated by a person. They see truth, but that truth denies the lordship of Jesus Christ and places that lordship upon themselves. They become those that have to have their lust of the eye and lust of the flesh and the pride of life and their own personal gain as the undergirding underlying reason. Otherwise, there is nothing else to serve in their mind. Well, it's easy to see the contrast when we look into the room where the apostles sat with Jesus. Eleven of them saw him as Lord. One of them one of them saw him as just a teacher. Nothing special in him. So the message that he had was, I'm my own God. I'll find my own way. I'll go make my own money. I'll go do my own thing. I'll betray this man because I really don't believe he is who he said he is and I don't believe he'll do what he said he's going to do and I want you to know something. Everybody today that is betraying the word of God by teaching another gospel, going after another narrative, 
operating under another function, trying to keep their money pot going strong. Every one of you that are doing that are standing in the same condition and position that Judas was, teaching a love of God, a message about the love of God that is full of lies, full of untruths, that is getting you what you want and you will do the same as Judas. You will reap your reward here. I want you to hear that today because the message is still the message. The message is still the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, truth, truth, that is Jesus Christ, must be the reality of fact. So what is reality? Well, that reality, my friend, is God is love. Now let's look. What is love? It's His holiness and righteousness. So in reality, who is He and how does He operate? Well, He is dictated by love. He is personified by love through Holiness and righteousness. So he cheers the standard of holiness and righteousness that exists in himself. This is the lens from which he sees his creation. Now he sees mankind through the lens of Jesus Christ. Now that's something, isn't it? Because as we become disobedient, unfaithful, operating in evil, and he looks at you and sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ, where does that leave you? Oh, pastor, I confessed I was baptized when I was six. I, I have professed Christ. Yes, 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 I hear all of that. But when he looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ, and there is a lens, I want to tell you about that lens. Jesus Christ was obedient to the message. Jesus Christ was not intimidated by the crowd nor the narrative. Jesus Christ was not one who would bow the knee to the world that was around him because that was the safe move for him to make. No, my friend. He was a righteous man and he was faithful when you look through the lens of that perspective. Where does it leave you? So when we want to view what the love of God has established as the benchmark for our lives... We have to consider exactly what love did for Jesus Christ. Now, consider this. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. Jesus said, All things are delivered unto me and my Father. All things. That meant all of the love that the Father possessed was delivered to Jesus Christ. Not only all of the great works and great power, but all of the love. Now, if you follow along with me, I'll be preaching on this very mess, this very topic in the days that are to come. I'm going to preach four messages. How the Father loved Jesus. The pattern of love between the Father and the Son which you will want to hear because it's going to show you how the Son is to love you based on the pattern of the Father. 
love to the last hour, and then when, when love stops wrestling. You'll want to hear all of those because they're going to be messages that are going to show you some things about love that you need to know. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Let's look. All of his love is delivered to me, Jesus said. I am, in fact, a reflection of him in every conceivable way. That's what Jesus is telling us. I know the Father and I'm revealing the Father to whomever I will reveal him. What was he revealing? Love. So when God looked at him through a lens, he saw the reflection of himself. Love. Now what about the Father is being revealed? Some would say, when we look at it as we have chosen to in the church world, some would say, well, he has revealed healing. We've made a doctrine on that, actually. Some would say he has delivered his care. Well, we've made a ministry out of care. Some would say he has delivered his blessings. Well, we have taught in depth on his blessings. And some would say he desires to relate to man. Those are some of the things that he's revealing. Well, the answer is, in reality, friend, he is revealing himself in love. It is love that is delivered to Jesus. It is love that he desires to show as the person of, in the person from him of the Father. It is love that is the motivator for the ministry, from his ministry to the people. We get caught up in the works, my friend, and miss the motive. Verse 28, 11, 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're fatigued by the life of sin and find no rest from the behaviors of evil, come to Jesus. Find out how the love of God works. Find out what it will do. Find out that it will take care of your needs. If you're tired of the narrative that you're hearing from pulpits, if you're tired from the narrative of division, that is being spewed from your pulpit as if God is a divided God, as if he is the God of confusion, as if he is the God of retribution in this life, then you need to come unto him. If you're overburdened by the cares of this life and can find no place where the burden can be lightened, no, when you listen to a message of division and divisiveness, my friend, the burden gets heavier. Anger springs up. Discomfort, distaste, disdain. Those are burdensome messages. No, you can come to him and find a place where your burden can be lightened. Simply come to Jesus. There you'll find a love that changes your motivation. See, this is why I know the church that we're having in our modern days out of kelter. Because our motivation is no longer to preach the love of God, to teach the love of God, to live in the peace of God, but to preach a message that tickles ears and lines my pocket. Oh my God, now you've gone from preaching to meddling, haven't you? You'll stop trying everything in the world whenever you find this love that matters, that transforms, that lightens the burden, and that motivates. 
You'll stop looking for any old thing that looks good that appeases you and solves and comforts you in the moment. You'll stop taking on every stray thing that looks like love. You'll stop having life piling up on top of you until you feel suffocated because of your bad choices. Love will come in and what uh, will that overcoming look like? Well, he's going to give you rest. How will he do it? He's going to express the love of God to you. That love of God will transform your motivation. You will begin to see life through a new lens. Love will allow you to envision a path that is clear and clean, that lacks confusion, a way to go that will allow you to look at your brothers, red or yellow, black or white, and love them. A way to go that causes you to worship him and not the narrative. A way that frees you from the cultural biases. Yeah, this is a way of rest and peace, my friend. Love will come in and it will clear the vision. Look at what happened to those he fed and to those he healed. Look at what happened to the man who had so many demons. And I want to tell you, glory to God, the church is putting demonic activity into your heart. They are telling you divisive things. They are breaking your heart with confusion and division. There was a man that Jesus encountered in Mark chapter 5 who was in the same boat. And when love found him, it found him chained and living in a cemetery. Oh my God. That's about what I envision today when I look into what's being preached in most of our churches. We're going to the cemetery and listening to a confusing message that is dividing our heart and placing our heart in the way of iniquity, lawlessness, and wickedness. Here was this man chained and living in a cemetery. When love left him, he was no longer laboring against the chains of life, against the chains of being heavy laden with the burdens of being demonically possessed. He had rest. You can read the story in Mark 5. But I want you to notice how Jesus ended this conversation with this man. Look at Mark 5, 18 through 20. And when he was coming to the ship, he had he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him, asked him that he might be with him. Think about that. You know what that's saying to me? That some of us are just going to have to get away from where we used to go. We're going to have to stop worrying about white churches, black churches, Mexican churches. We're going to have to find a church that's preaching the truth of the word of God. Get out of the cemetery. Get away from the chains and bondage of tradition. Walk into truth. Verse 20, and he departed. Here's what Jesus said to him. In verse 19, I want you to see it. How be it, Jesus suffered him, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things, now watch this, because this is where Judas fell off the boat, the Lord hath done for thee. What great things the Lord has done for you. You know, I wonder today if our churches are operating in lordship. I wonder if our pastors are operating in lordship. 
I wonder if we are telling our friends what great things the Lord has done for us. Or have we been compelled by the narrative of the day to preach a gospel that matches and makes everybody gather together around one fire, even though it is a wildfire, keeps everybody coming to hear what will they say next. I had a friend of mine who was my college roommate. He has since gone on to be with the Lord, probably the greatest Christian man I ever knew. He preached, he was an African-American, and he preached in his Baptist church. He called me and he said they have voted to kick me out of the church simply because I told them truth. I said, what did you tell them? He said, I told them the truth about where we were in this society, in this community, in this political realm, and he said they have voted to kick me out of the church. Why? Because they chose iniquity, the narrative of the day, the things that would motivate them that was not the motivation of Jesus Christ. What a sad thing. But look what this man did. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for them. What a great idea, my friend. Why don't we just preach Jesus? Why don't we just affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord? Why don't we just affirm the love of God that would transform and motivate us into a message that would allow us to tell what great things the Lord has done? This man went from chained in the cemetery and a demonic to being a publisher of the gospel. Why can't we just do that? Why can't we just love one another? Why do we have to preach a message of division? Why do we have to preach a message of confusion? I'm telling you because we do not understand the love of God. We don't live in the love of God. We don't know the love of God. Therefore, the only message that we have left to preach is a message of iniquity and a message that lacks truth. Being a publisher of the gospel, that's what happens. When the love of God exposed in Jesus Christ and expressed in my heart is applied to my life. Father, I thank you and praise you today for your word. Minister to your people. Minister. Open our eyes, God. We live in a time when our eyes must be open. Open our eyes that we may see. We will give you praise and glory and honor for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. I challenge you. Find the love of God in your preaching, in your teaching, in your living. Find Him as Lord. And there your message will change. You will begin to publish the great things that the Lord has done. May God richly bless you is my prayer.